So there are two tensions that we have to lean into right away and that you need to get, because if you don't get them, it can go really off the rails today. And the first is, if you are in Christ, meaning if you have given your life to Christ, if you're following Jesus, you're a follower of Jesus, it requires effort to follow Jesus. Never earning. So nothing that I'm going to say for the remainder of the morning is we earn anything. It's obedience and walking. Hey, we just sang it. I will trust where you lead. I will trust when I can't see. Okay, morning by morning. We just sang this worship song, which is, it's going to require effort. I got to trust. And that looks like something. But, but it's not earning. It's not like, I'll be a better person for you, God. No, it's not what it is. It is, I will grow up in you, Christ. And the second is this, that following Jesus is never denying reality. But it's also a refusal to allow what we see to negate who God is. Because of who he is, he may work in a specific way in our lives. Best example I can give that, and if you're new to church, sorry, I don't have time for context, but there's an Old Testament individual named Gideon, and he's hiding in fear, and the angel of the Lord shows up to him and says, like, mighty man of valor. And it's not as though the angel is an idiot, in that he cannot see that Gideon is absolutely cowering in fear, but the angel of the Lord sees who Gideon could be. And speaks to that. So it's not a denial of reality. Like, I don't even see that you're here. It's not a delusion. It is this trusted place. So when I am sick, I say that I am sick. And God, I trust you as healer. So I don't say, I'm not sick. God, I am sick, but I trust that you are healer. So I ask you for healing in my life. I don't live in delusion. But I don't let just what I can see define who God is. Tensions. And so this week in our Bible reading, we're going to read Galatians, Ephesians, and Philippians. Yeah, they're short books. We're going to go through quick. In reading Ephesians, I want you to think like a filmmaker. To tell a story, you need scope. Or to tell a good story, you need scope. Beginning with the close-up shot and then zooming out to this drone aerial shot to reveal the complete picture. A great filmmaker can have you focus on something, and as you focus on that one thing, you begin to think about that one thing, and then as they begin to pull back the shot, and it gives context after context after context, all of a sudden, then what you saw, you now begin to see, not maybe it differently, but you get a grander scope of what is. And in this way, the Apostle Paul writes the book of Ephesians. His aim is to help all of us, but in particular the church in Ephesus, to help them see following Jesus from a higher perspective. And here is what we have in common with the church in Ephesus. And it is this, that you and I live so close to our own lives, our own thoughts, and our own emotions, that sometimes we stop seeing what is right in front of us. And so Paul starts his Holy Spirit-inspired letter reminding them about who they are in Christ. And he uses language like this, Blessed be the God and the Father of our Lord Jesus Christ who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. Who has blessed us in Christ with every spiritual blessing. And then he says, in the heavenly places. And God's heart is that would be on earth as it is in 
in heaven. So from this place in Christ, you, if you're in Christ, have been blessed with every spiritual blessing, which means we were dead, we were enslaved, we were objects of God's wrath, we walked with the disobedient, we were under Satan's domain, but in Christ, we have new life, we are blessed with spiritual blessings. In Christ, we're now alive, we are enthroned, we are objects of God's grace, we have fellowship with Christ, and we are united with Christ, dot, dot, dot. You have every spiritual blessing, because for the church that is there, They've lost sight of who they are in Christ. And when you lose sight of who you are in Christ, you default to what you do in every other area, which is I have to earn it. And he's reminding them there is no earning, there is effort required, but I want to remind you that you have every spiritual blessing. Though you may not see it in your life, though you may not see it in your small group, may you not see it in the church, you have every spiritual blessing. And then as you keep reading Ephesians, the Apostle Paul is going to call out the church by reminding them how in Christ it is now time because they are followers of Christ to live up to this higher calling and that is our focus today. And here's what he says in Ephesians chapter four, verses one to six. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, and that's not a metaphor, he's under house arrest. I therefore, a prisoner of the Lord, I urge you to walk in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. I urge you to walk different from how you're walking. I urge you to see your life differently, your circumstances differently, not to deny reality, but in Christ to walk differently. So he's urging them in a manner worthy of the calling to which you have been called. Then he says, with all two things that I think are so important, we'll highlight them in a moment, with all humility and gentleness, With patience, turn the person beside you and say, no, thank you. (laughs) With patience, bearing with one another in love, eager to maintain, here's, look at, eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. Eager to maintain the unity of the spirit. We live in a time where we are defined by our disunity and we take pride in it. He's going, no, 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 no. I don't even think the Apostle Paul would recognize the church today. Just as you were called to the one hope that belongs to your call, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God, and Father of all, who is over all and through all and in all. And so Paul says in a number of ways here in these six verses, he talks about calling. Everyone just whisper calling. He is not speaking about your secondary calling. He's not talking about your job, your acquired skills, your spiritual gifts, your life experiences. Those things are important, but they are your secondary calling. He's not speaking of those things. He's talking about our primary call. And we all, if we are in Christ, have a primary call, and it is to follow Jesus and to become, through the power of the Holy Spirit, more like Jesus. Yes? This is our primary call. And so for the Apostle Paul, there is no revelation in secondary calling things that's going to eclipse our primary call. In other words, we get fixated on the specific ways in which God wants to use our lives, sometimes to the detriment of the primary call of following Jesus. And the Apostle Paul is not talking about secondary. He will in a moment. In this instance, he's talking about this united call that we all have as followers of Christ. And once he does that, then he's gonna go granular, and this is where it begins to get challenging for me and hopefully for you as well. 
The one writing Ephesians is a prisoner exclusively due to his following Jesus. And he reminds the church in Ephesus to live up to their high calling in Christ, which is counter, so I want you to watch this counterintuitive way in which we live into this higher calling. To live a higher calling in Christ, you have to be willing to go low. And I don't mean low like if they offend you, offend them more. Like, offend them better. If they hurt you, hurt them back. That's, that's not the low that I'm talking about. I'm talking about the one that we follow, the one that we serve, who washes feet low, that low. To live a higher calling, you've got to be willing to get low. It's why he says we're called to one hope, one Lord, one faith, one baptism, one God and Father. For better or worse, we're a family, we're a body. And Paul is reminding the church that we're in this together and how you are willing or unwilling affects me. And how I am willing or unwilling to go low affects you. And it collectively affects our gospel witness to a world that is not in Christ. By the church's willingness to get low or arrogance to remain high, it shows up in the world in a different way and they see us in a different way. Notice the, this, the, just the counterintuitiveness. He reminds them of seated in heavenly places. That's high. And he says, if you really get that you are in Christ and what that means, then you're not going to be unwilling to walk low. By a show of hands, has anyone here ever been in an argument with someone? Can I see your hands, please? Okay. Have you ever been in an argument with someone and you were right? Can I see your hands, please? If you are still in that argument and they are in this room, keep your hand down. In order to move past the argument, someone's got to be willing to go low. Someone at some point's got to be willing to say, I am sorry. Not, you are wrong. I am sorry. They got to be willing to go low. Even if you're right, for the sake of the relationship, you've got to be willing to go low. It's what the Apostle Paul says in the book of Ephesians. He says two things I think are really, really interesting. In answer to the question, like, what does it look like to go low? In Ephesians, it is a posture of humility and it is gentleness instead of arrogance and harshness. And if there were two descriptions of the time in which we live in this cultural moment, it is arrogance and harshness. And the antidote to both is the effort to go low, which requires humility and gentleness. Now, now I think it's interesting that he quotes one as a issue of character. Humility is not rooted in personality. Like some of you are more, by your personality, are more aggressive and bold. Yeah. And you know who you are. And we know who you are. Okay? So some of you by personality are more aggressive and assertive and bold and others of you are more meek and you're more like lowly if I could say it in that way. But, but neither is necessarily humility. Yeah. 
because you can be bold and assertive and humble and you can be a little bit more meek and timid and humble, but you can also be meek and timid and think of yourself all the time as a victim which lacks humility. Or you can be bold, assertive, and not think of anyone else, which is a lack of humility. And so it's, humility is not a personality trait. You can't just say that person looks more humble than that person. No, 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 no. It's a Christ-like character thing that we develop in our hearts and lives. And that's what Paul says. If you want to get low, then you've got to be willing to allow Christ to form humility in you. And then the second thing he says, though, is then you have to move and bear the fruit of gentleness, which is, by the way, a fruit of the Holy Spirit. In other words, you can't produce it by yourself or just through your personality. Being gentle, yes, it's a way in which we can approach one another, but it is a fruit of the Spirit from a life in the Spirit, yes? And this is what he is saying, that you and I, want to walk in this way. When I turned 50 years old and I recognized that I'm at the halfway point, well, probably over the halfway point of my life, I, 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 set one, I set a lot of goals, but there's one that I'm willing to share and the others, they none your business. Um, but the, the, just, just a little. The one, the one that I would share, though, is, is that I, I'm at the point in my life where I will either grow cynical and jaded and critical or I'll grow in gentleness. Because I can see people who are older who are super tender and gentle and others who are, let me just say, not. And somewhere along the way, that's a choice of formation. And Paul is saying, I want you to embrace humility and I want you to let the spirit produce gentleness in you. Humility is a posture and gentleness is a fruit of the spirit. It's neither of these are personality traits. They can look different, but they're present. And I think it's so fascinating because to grow in humility and gentleness, God designed something quite unique. Like if you want me to be humble and you want me to gentle, be gentle, the best way to do it, I think, is to put me around people who see the world precisely as I do. And if you want me to be a little bit arrogant and harsh, put me with people who see the world completely different than I do. And watch what the scripture says right now after he talks about these things. And by the way, this is God's design. It's not a flaw. Difference and diversity is God's design. It's not a flaw. And it says this, and he gave the apostles, the prophets, the evangelists, the shepherds, the teachers to equip the saints for the work of ministry. For the what? For the building up, not the tearing down. The building up of the body of Christ. So apostles, they extend the gospel when they're good. The apostolic goes really, really bad when they build empires and not the kingdom of God. When they see themselves at the top of the hierarchy rather than the one who is called to wash feet the most. Apostleship goes bad. Prophets, they know God's will, and that is good. The bad is when they are unconcerned with the needs of others and how their words affect and influence others, and they just tell it like it is all the time, and it's up to you to take it or not. Like That's where it goes bad. Evangelists, man, they recruit people into the kingdom. They're all about chair one. They're all about seeing the lost come to Christ. Um, but sometimes they tire of the work of sanctification and discipleship, and that's when it goes bad. Shepherds or pastors, they nurture and protect the flock. That's good. It gets really bad, though, when they get too tender and they lose a heart for a 
evangelism or they lose a heart for the prophetic and everything is about people's feelings and they overemphasize feelings rather than the truth of God's word and they compromise then their convictions or biblical convictions. And then there are teachers in the body of Christ who understand and explain God's word. That is good. It's bad when they forget that information is not the only way to formation and everything becomes an object lesson. They frustrate people. Sometimes my kids say to me with their body language and sometimes words in Jesus name we don't need another lesson okay just shut up <laughs> shut your mouth like like enough when you have the spiritual gift of teaching everything is like well look at this well look at this well did you see what this zip it right so in other words you have apostles and prophets evangelists and shepherds and teachers and teachers think everyone's doing it wrong and let me explain how to do it right that's how it works But all of these are needed, but they're all different. And God has designed it by design that we would then walk in gentleness and humility with one another, recognizing that in Christ, we are seated in heavy places, but Christ has everything, but we don't. We need one another. That I need you and you need me. And that means that you're going to drive me nuts sometimes. And I'm going to drive you nuts once or twice a year. See how I just bent that in my own favor? That's called, <laughs> that's called justification in sin. And so diversity and difference creates the opportunity for us to be humble and gentle with one another or to be arrogant and harsh with one another. And so when we are reading through the book of Ephesians, it calls the work of ministry is all of this diversity and difference. When it works together, it's called the work of ministry. And when it does, you know what happens? People, people grow up and the body of Christ is built up. And, and, and when we're not gentle and when we don't walk in humility, but when we're arrogant and harsh with one another, then the church is not built up. It's, it's beaten down. So what stops us from taking the posture of humility or, or bearing the Spirit's gentleness? When I was reading this, I, I, I was, pardon, I am wonderfully still convicted. Because it says, until we all attain the unity of the faith and the knowledge of the Son of God to mature manhood, to the measure of the statue of the fullness of Christ, this is described so that we may no longer be children tossed to and fro by waves and carried about by every wind of doctrine, by human cunning, by craftiness and deceitful schemes. Rather, this is where I am wonderfully convicted, and I still am right now. Speaking the truth in love, we are to grow up in every way into him who is the head. So I, I need to grow up spiritually in Christ. I need to grow up emotionally Just, I need to grow up emotionally. I need to grow up in how I think, how I feel, what I say, what I choose not to say, what I see, and how I say what I see. So speaking the truth in love, we're to grow up in every way into him who is in the head into Christ, from whom the whole body joined and held together by every joint with which it is equipped. And when each part is working properly, makes the body grow so that it builds itself up in love. And so let's have a moment of tenderness and honesty and let's outline the problem and then the practice that we need to engage to grow low. Some things take a lot of time 
for us to grow through and grow up in. Some things do. Like there are some areas of our heart and life that have been deeply wounded and they take time. They take time to grow up. They take time for God to heal. There are petty things that happen to us that, that they, they shouldn't take much time. But there are other profound wounds that we experience that we need to have grace for one another because that one may take a while to grow through. That may one may take a while to trust God. It may take a while to allow God into this space. And so there are some things that take lots of time to grow through and we need to have grace for that. Whether that's to heal for God to heal or whether that's for us to understand, whether that is for us to, to release or even to trust. I was, reading, I was reading our memory verse in Heartstrong and it's cast, casting all your anxieties, which the word anxiety is a word often used today. Um, if you're reading your Bible, the word anxiety biblically is the same as the word fear. Okay, And so perfect love casts out all anxieties and it casts out all fears. And where I don't trust Jesus, I hold on to it. I don't release. And the Bible says that we're to cast all of our fears or all of our anxieties onto the Lord because he cares for us. And, and here's what is true about life is that I can hear that a thousand times over and two things are true. I cannot trust that Jesus cares for me. And, and, and second of all, I can actually not know how to cast my fears onto him. Like, like I've only been fishing a few times in my life, but in, in both times where I, I, I went fishing, I was handed a rod that had a, a line, and then the line was attached to a hook that had a worm or a lure or something on it. And when I would cast it, I would chuck it out into the lake, not the rod. I would chuck out the line into the lake, I would cast it out, and then I'd begin to reel it back in. Yes, fishing? Okay, so that's how many of us cast our anxieties in the Lord. We let them go, but then we reel them back in. And this is not what, he, what the book of Matthew and Jesus was saying, cast your anxieties. He was talking about how they used to fish like a net and you just let it go. And here's what's true of me and true of you. There are areas of my life I can easily let go to God. And there are others that have been a 50-year struggle. We need to have grace for one another in those things. And everyone said, Amen. and those are going to rub and they're going to rub us the wrong way. And they're going to be people in our lives or in our small groups so that, that this is going to be a challenge, but it's to take a deep breath and to remember, do I, do I, do I move with humility, which is then the consideration of them? And then do I allow the Holy Spirit to produce gentleness in me or, or do I move from arrogance, which is like walling myself up? And then do I move harsh towards others that there are some people that, you, that are no longer trustworthy in your life and that does not though mean or give us permission to be arrogant or harsh. It just simply means that they are no longer trustworthy in this area. You can be gentle and firm at the same time, loved ones. There's a big difference between being a bridge or a doormat for people. Learn the difference. One, it helps somebody get from one place to the other. If repeatedly you keep your heart tender, you see someone just wants to use you 
and they're not getting to another place, then you're being used as a doormat. You can be willing to go low, but you can entrust them to Jesus, that it's his rule to save them, to heal them, and to minister, not yours anymore. That's got a message in itself, but not right now. And so some things take a lot of time for us to grow through, and that's okay. Take a deep breath. Okay, so other things are taking too much time because you're too content at being a child and you just don't want to grow up. Not my words. Like to the person beside you, go, that's harsh. That's Paul. And he's saying that, I'm not saying that to you. He is saying that inspired by the Holy Spirit to all of us. That there are some things that are taking too much time because you won't humble yourself and you don't want to grow up in Christ. Have you noticed there's this word that's being used a lot called adulting? Like you see it all over social media, like people who just have normal responsibilities of an adult complaining that they're adulting. Okay? And I'm not here to criticize it or to put it down in any which way. I am just saying I resonate with it because there are areas of my life I don't want to be responsible. I would rather be irresponsible. Like forgiveness is a responsible choice. Harboring unforgiveness is childish. And I would rather sometimes hold unforgiveness than trust God because I don't believe God's going to handle this justly. I could do it better. Childish. Okay, there are some of you, you have grown up chronologically, but you have not grown up in Christ. And Paul's language and his word to us is it's time to grow up. It's time to grow up. It's time to put away childish things. Maturity in Christ is what? It is speaking and receiving the truth and love from other Christians. How are we doing with that? Some of you are getting angrier at me the more I talk. Okay, bring it on. So there are two specific spiritual practices for us to engage. And the practices won't save us. Only Christ does. But the practices are how we walk in them. And the first is the practice of confession. What is confession? It is speaking the truth in love about yourself to others. Okay, you know you need to confess when, while you're confessing, you're positioning yourself in the most positive of lights and you're negating what it is that you really need to say. Like, I need to tell you everything that they did to me and then I want to tell you about my response. When I confess, I struggle sometimes to tell the whole truth, which means at the end of the confession, I sometimes need to confess what I didn't just confess. <laughs> confession is speaking the truth and love about yourself to others. And there's this twisted theology that says, I can't, I, I can't say those things because like, I don't want to confess that because there's power of life and death in the tongue. That's when you're living into a delusion. You can state exactly what is. And when you do, it's like the angel of the Lord showing up saying, oh, mighty man of valor. It is seeing that is not how God just sees you. He sees that, but he sees fully who you are in Christ. So you can trust your heavenly father and hopefully you can trust one other person with the honesty of who you are so that you can grow up in Christ. 
Confession is speaking the truth and love about yourself to others. And exhortation is speaking the truth and love about others to themselves. Let's see this by a show of hands and everybody play along, whether you're here or whether you're at home. Who here could use just a little bit more encouragement in your life? Can I see your hands, please? Okay, look at the opportunity. Is there anyone else that is similar to me that you see things and you feel things and you think things that are so great about others, but you don't actually say them as much as you need to say them? I have great parents. I have great in-laws. I have wonderful wife Extraordinary kids. I have an amazing team. What a remarkable church. I see it. I feel it. I think it. And I express it probably like 5% of the time. But I am so quick to see and to say what annoys me about others. It could just be me. Some of you are more, I'm honest, some of you are more sanctified in this way. And I give God glory and I want to follow your example. What could it look like this week to not just see it, but to say it a little bit more? People of humility, they are confessional people. And people of gentleness, they exhort others well. And these are two areas that I want to grow up in. Okay, let me end here. I want to change from Paul in Ephesians, or writing to the church in Ephesus. And this is sobering for me, and a little bit, um, it's the right kind of fear. Not the anxiety fear, but the, the, the holiness and reverence of God fear. That I think is, I, sorry, I don't think it is good. So the church in Ephesus is also mentioned in Revelation. And Revelation is living under the same dispensation of grace that we're under right now. And I want you to read this next portion and get it and, and hear it. So in Revelation in chapter 2, Jesus exhorts the church in Ephesus in verses 2 to 3. And he says that they are steadfast. They have patient endurance. They are bearing well with one another. And all this is good. But he has one thing against them. And he's going to speak the truth in love so that the church can grow up. And I want you to just have, see how serious Jesus is here. In love, but I have this against you, that you have abandoned the love that you had at first. Remember, therefore, from where you have fallen, repent, which is an, a part of confession, and do the works you did at first. Watch what Jesus says in love. And, and this, is, this is sobering, and it's, it's a little bit fear, holy fear-inducing in me. If not, I will come to you, to the church of Ephesus, and I will remove your lampstand from its place unless you repent. What does that mean? What's a lampstand? Jesus essentially says to the church in Ephesus that there is a way for a church to be a church in name, but there is no light of Christ in it. In essence, that you are just calling yourself something that you are not. But he also says to them, but the moment you repent, I am as close as the mention of my name. But he asks them in love that you need to turn from how you are living. In other words, 
there's this weird, weird thing that the more we learn about God, sometimes the less we become and look like God. That the more doctrine we learn, the more arrogant and harsh we become. That the more we kind of know the spiritual things to do, the more we do them by autopilot and not by dependence on the Lord. And he's calling out the church in Ephesus. And if it applies to our church, may our response be repentance. May if it, reply, if it applies to any church, may the response be repentance. And so Ephesians is a book urging us to live higher by getting lower. And as we prepare to take communion, you can locate your emblem, your element. There's ushers coming up and down the aisle. If you're at home, you can go to the fridge and you can grab a juice, bread. If you don't have red juice, get orange juice. It's all good. So two questions, as you, as you locate your communion element, which represents, right? So if you, need, if you need communion, just put your hand up and we'll do our best to get to you. Taking communion represents one thing. We remember Jesus and therefore we remember who we are in Christ. And so in this moment, there's two questions. The first is this. Today, what might you need to confess? To God, yes. That's called repentance. Yes. But there may be one other person that you trust enough to confess. What may you need to confess? And the second is this. Where may be it time for you to grow up in Christ? Like, like stop giving yourself the childish out. And hear me back now to the beginning. Don't hear me through the lens of I'll do better. That's religion. Hear me through the lens of honesty, which is I need grace, which is the work of Christ. Don't hear it through earning. Hear it through obedience. Because on the night that Jesus was betrayed, when he had given thanks, he took bread and he broke it and he said that it was his body that was broken for everything that is broken in you in your family, in this church, in the city, in the nation, for the brokenness that we create through our harshness and our arrogance. And he said, take it and eat it. And as often as you do, don't fixate on what you are not or where you are not. Remember me and by faith receive. So let's partake. And then after supper, he took a cup and said it was representative of his blood that was going to be shed for the forgiveness, for the remission, for the penalty that has been paid in Christ for our sin, not just our mistakes, but the things that we do that are in active rebellion against who God is. And 
there's no way we can earn and fix that. Jesus said, no, 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 just remember me. Remember that I paid the penalty in full, that it's a finished work, that it's a complete work. You don't have to beat yourself up. You don't have to grovel. You don't have to do any of those childish things. The Old Testament is foreshadowed. Oh, mighty man of valor, hiding in courage. In the fullness of Jesus, we can come boldly before the throne of grace, not because we're all that, but because of everything that Christ has done for us. And so trusting exclusively and singularly in the work of Christ, we partake as a family together. Ephesians is a real good book. I pray it blesses you as you read through it. Well, I I dare you to find a bad book in the Bible, but it's a real good one. And 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 I pray that you see it in context as you read it this week. May the Lord bless and may he keep you.